0: Okay, good evening. Welcome to those of you that are at home. You should be here. It's funny. (laughs) Oh my. Uh, Tonight, Jerusalem meets Rome and finds Babylon, a study in church purity. Tonight is who can be in the church? Uh, Ethnic bias, and I I may expand this a little bit uh, depending on time, so we'll see what goes on. But before we get started, let's pray. Father, as we come this evening, we, uh, we are thankful as your children, the people that you have worked in our hearts and opened our eyes to see truth, uh, that you brought us together once again. And we recognize there are a lot of people here tonight that are not in this room. And we thank you for their diligence, their willingness to serve. Pray that you would give them wisdom and grace. And Lord, that you would uh, use the Word of God to open the hearts of the children uh, that are being ministered to, as well as maybe some of the parents And Father, that uh, uh, you would be directing these young lives, even now, uh, through the things that they're learning. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We would ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to uh, not see the thing that someone else may be guilty of, but to see where maybe we need to uh, reconsider how we handle uh, loving those that are around us for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, if you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're actually going to start in like verse uh, 4. Pastor talked a little bit about the first three verses there and maybe even uh, hit 4 and 5. can't remember right now. But uh, let me read the first section, verses 4 through 8. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the message of good news. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed to the Messiah to them. The crowds paid attention with one mind to what Philip said, as they heard and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed, and the lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So if you haven't gotten some notes off of the back table, There are none on the back table, so if you need some, say the word, and I'm sure Chuck can go get a copy of them for you. Uh, But we see Philip in Samaria. Now, when we think of who can be in the church, ethnic bias, you've got to remember we're early in the book of Acts. So far, as far as anyone knows, we're dealing with Jewish people. They are the church at the time. Probably one of the reasons for some of the confusion between the church and Israel Uh, that comes about later. But at this time, as far as we know, the church has been mainly centralized in Jerusalem, maybe the surrounding areas. And the reality is they were already told to go to the other most part of the earth. And if they're all staying there, well, how can we motivate them to get out? Verses one through three, persecution arises and they're going. So, uh, Before we uh, consider what's going on in the passage here, notice letter A, the Samaritans in Scripture. So uh, we have the creation of the problem back in 1 Kings 17, 24 through 33. Israel, the northern ten tribes, they've had about 21 kings. Every one of them were evil and wicked and idolatrous. And finally God says, okay, I've had enough. I've had it up to here. I'm not sure how high that would be for God, but, you know, he's had it up to there. And he brings Assyria down, and they uh, conquer those northern ten tribes. Now, in so doing, the best way to keep a people in subjection is to take them out of the land that they belong, put them someplace where they don't know anything and the people that you took from there you put them over here in this land so that's what they did let me read second kings 17 24 to 33 for you then the king of assyria brought people from babylon kuthah ava hamath and from seravim sepharvaim and placed them in the cities of samaria instead of the children of israel and they took possession of samaria and dwelt in its cities and it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not fear the lord Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Now, remember, back in this time, people believed in a God of their land. God believed that Israel was his land. <laughs> he allowed uh, the, the uh, nation of Israel to dwell there. And so as these people come in, uh, they are not fearing the God of the land and so God says, okay, watch this. And he sends lions among them, and some of them are killed. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of their god of the land. Therefore he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the god of the land. Then the king of Assyria commended, uh, commanded, saying, "'Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord.' Uh, however, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkoth-benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. The men of uh, Hamath made Ashima. And the, and the Ivites made Niz, Nibhaz and Tar, Tartak. And the Sepharvites. Uh, burned their children in the fire to Adrammelech and Enamelech, the gods of the uh, Sepharvaim. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among whom they were carried." Now, I don't know about you, the idea of being the lone priest that was going to come over and teach all these foreigners how to worship the God of Israel, uh, there's, uh, for, as a pastor, there's a certain amount of, yeah, let's do it. And then there's another part like, really? I mean, they don't even have the right foundation to start with. You know, this is going to be an impossible job. Uh, so uh, as I was reading it, I was thinking about some of these pastors that think that, uh, you need to go along with the culture. Uh, you need to allow uh, homosexuals and transgenders and, and all the wokisms come into the church. And it's kind of like, well, he doesn't really say that. He, he taught them to fear the Lord. They continued with all the other stuff. And it's kind of like, wow, what an impossible job. So that's the creation of the problem. The Samaritans ultimately uh, are intermarrying with some of the Jews that are still left in the land. And so by the time you get to John chapter 4 with Jesus, at the, with the woman at the well, the Samaritans are looked down upon because they're basically half-breeds. And yeah, they got a little bit of the Bible with them, but they got a whole lot of the world with them also. And so, let's see. Under the ministry of Christ, notice letter A, Matthew 10, 5, and 6. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Why? Because Jesus was there to minister to the children of Israel. So, don't go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans. Why? Because they're not the children of Israel. They're half-breeds but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Again, God's program until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is with Israel. Israel is supposed to shine as a light and attract others to God because they're doing things the way He's, uh, he's uh, set them up to do. So when He comes, He comes to do that. Now, did Jesus minister to Foreigners, Samaritans, people that were not... Oh, there's a Canaanite woman at one point, depending on the version that you use. Yes, he did. But he was there to minister to the children of Israel. Uh, Luke nine fifty-one to 53 uh, Now it came to pass, and the time had come for him to be received up. He steadily set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare for him... But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. In other words, Jesus is coming from Galilee down to Jerusalem. He's going to be going through Samaria again. But at this time, he's not really, uh, though they're going and warning him, hey, guys, he's coming. He's coming through town. It's kind of like, you mean he's not staying? No, he's going to Jerusalem. He's got something more important to do. <laughs> What's with that, you know? Um, and that brings us to... Uh, Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Uh, notice the attitude of the woman. Chapter 4, verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, a lot of people say it's very, very unusual for uh, a man to speak to a woman at this time. Uh, especially a priest to a Samaritan woman, she didn't bring that up. She brought up the fact that you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, and you guys don't like us. Okay, so let's assume that that was really the issue. The Jewish people, for the most part... Didn't have much to do. In fact, they hated the Samaritans so much that if they needed to go from Jerusalem up to Galilee, they would cross the Jordan River and go up on the Syrian side, the Damascus side, and then cross back over when they got up to Galilee so they wouldn't have to be corrupted by the filth of the Samaritans. So uh, this is who we're talking about when we come to Acts chapter 8. Um, And then notice uh, chapter 4, verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Ah, there, the, the woman male issue might be a thing. And, uh, but yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Uh, you kind of learn after a while when you've been with someone that, okay, though I think this is really stupid, I'm not going to say anything. Uh, that, that's kind of what happened here. So that brings us to Philip. Who on earth was Philip? Well, he's one of the seven table servers in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. Now, uh, it's interesting because we normally call these seven guys deacons because they were serving tables, and deacons are servants. Nowhere in the passage in Acts chapter 6 are they called deacons, they're just waiting tables. Well, Philip was one of these guys, okay? And notice the description of those table servers in Acts chapter 6, verse 3b. They have to be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And of course, when you go and look at the qualifications of a deacon, which we did a few weeks back, uh, you see the same kind of thing. But I I want you to see that these guys are serving tables and there is a spiritual quality that they must exhibit. Why is that important? Because the reality is, is that spiritual quality is something that if you're born again, you have access to every single one of us. And every single one of us should be of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. One of the complaints that I've said and heard about many that belong to the church today is Sunday is basically considered... Well, I should say church is, in the mind of many... Something you do on Sunday. No, church is the body of Christ. When we come together in the church, it's an assembly of called out ones where we're going to be learning from the Word of God, where we're going to be praying, where we're going to be encouraging one another, which means we're actually going to be talking to one another about things that are going on in our life. And if we're needing encouragement, what kinds of things are going on in our lives? Can we say discouraging things? Ah, you live in the world. Okay, that, that, that's part of life. There's discouraging things in the world. And so we come together and we talk and we sit there and say, you know, I was going through that once and here's how God helped me through it. Let me pray with you about that. That's what church is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be how you feel after a song. Uh, someone recently complained to me that they uh, were singing a song that we, whoever was leading, she didn't remember, and she goes, I turned around like I was going to look at the clock, and I saw people in the church in there. I can tell you, as a song leader, there's a lot of that going on. Not not everybody, but there's a lot of that going on in the church. Uh, I mean, are you listening to the words of these songs? It's good biblical truth, and you ought to be going, yeah. I mean, normally when I get done singing one of those songs, it's kind of like, yeah, baby. You know, I just want to yell that out. I don't. <laughs> but the whole, whole point being is that's the beginning where you're, you're kind of getting the focus off of everything that's going on during the week, and you're being reminded of things that uh, are true about the God that you've been walking with all week long. And then we bring in the word, and we get a, a pastor studies a lot for the lessons that he's teaching us on Sunday morning. He goes, hey, Al, I don't know about this one here. And he goes, I don't know if I can say that. I'm sure you can. No, I don't know. <laughs> Yo, go ahead, say it. <laughs> he goes, you're trying to get me in trouble, aren't you? <laughs> um, no. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of study that goes into this. You, you guys get the cream on the top. And, and some of you might say, well, you know, it's not that good. Well, ch- check your own heart at that point. Because... Uh, If my heart is prepared, there's something every week. When I'm studying for the messages that I'm preaching, there's something every week. Okay? So um, that's what church is really supposed to be all about. And so therefore, good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, seven days a week. And when you fall on your face because you believed a lie, you confess your sins and you get back up to good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Amen? All right, <laughs> uh, number three, apparently uh, he was one of the ones that fled during the persecution that came upon the church in Jerusalem, Acts chapters, uh, chapter 8, verses 4 and 5. Why? Because it tells us that, okay? And then number four, uh, in Acts 21, 8, he is considered an evangelist. Which is interesting because an evangelist is an office uh, for God gave some pastors and teachers and evangelists and uh, it gives you a whole list there. Uh, I think it's prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers uh, in that order. But whole point being is uh, apparently he had fulfilled the ministry of an evangelist and was considered to be an evangelist uh, by Acts twenty-one eight. So that brings us to Philip's message and the Samaritan's response. In uh, verses uh, 5 uh, through 7 we see that uh, he preached Christ to them. Now, um, If you listen to any uh, social media, you can get on YouTube and see uh, messages of various people. You might uh, watch it on TV on Sunday morning, uh, because some people do that while they're getting ready and stuff like that. Um, What are they preaching? Are they all preaching Christ? Well, they may be preaching some things about Him, but I can tell you, having seen some of the stuff on TV, uh, that uh, not all of them preach Christ. Okay, so we're going to nail down what preaching Christ is here uh, tonight a little bit. But uh, he preached Christ, and he did miracles according to verses 6 and 7. Okay, and the Samaritan response to his ministry. Multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken. Okay, now again, this is early in the church age. Uh, They are confirming what their message is through signs and wonders. He's doing this. In fact, uh, uh, verse 8 says that there was great joy in the city because they were hearing the truth, they received the truth, and in receiving the truth, it's kind of like, hey, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ Jesus now. Hallelujah! It's not that I can go do anything I want to, it's I don't have to worry about that anymore. Hallelujah. Okay? And then verse 12 says, They believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. So obviously within preaching Christ, we have this preaching about the kingdom of God. Now, what would that include? We all were walking out of the way. And... We were living, if you will, uh, in the realm of darkness. And God loved us so much that he sent his Son not only to pay the wages of our sins, but to enable us to become members of his kingdom. And in his kingdom, the rules are different. It's about him. It's not about you. If you're going to follow Jesus, what do you have to do? You have to deny yourself, take up your cross, And follow Him. You're taking up this burden that means death. It's not about you. Why is that important? Because we have learned to have this comfortable Christianity. Where God is great. He is awesome. He did this for me. And now look at how I can live in this world. Be blessed as all get out. Not worry about anybody else. Hospitality? Hospitality is meeting the needs of other people as long as I can do it at Chili's. I don't want anybody coming to my house because they might see that it's lived in. Not that anybody else's house isn't lived in, you know, one of those things. What? We have this comfortable Christianity where we're not really doing anything wrong, but are we really seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Are we really looking at, here's an opportunity to serve, or are we saying, you know, this is really inconvenient right now? You know, maybe, maybe later, just saying. Okay, <clears throat> so that's the Samaritan's response. A bunch of people believed, and they got baptized. So that brings us to the second side of that page. Uh, Simon, the sub-story. Uh, Within the story of the Word of God, there seems to always be a sub-story, and so in chapter 8, Simon is our sub-story. We're going to have a part A and a part B, uh, but he really is the sub-story. The story is Philip, uh, if you will, a deacon, is going to a place where Jewish people don't like these people, and he's sharing the gospel, and people are getting saved, who gave uh, uh, Philip the authority to do this? Well, we'll find out as we go along. So, Simon the substory, verses 9 through 13. Follow along as I read. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and astounded the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least of them to the greatest, and they said, This man is called uh, the great power of God. They were attentive to him because he had astounded them with his sorceries for a long time. Uh, But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then even Simon himself believed, and after he was baptized, he went around constantly with Philip and was astounded as he observed the signs and the great miracles that were being performed. So Simon, as the substory, he previously was a uh, sorcerer. Okay, the word for sorcery there is pharmakia. It has to do with potions and drugs and things like that. And uh, whether it's chemistry, where, wow, look at what that guy can do, that kind of thing. Either way, uh, the people thought uh, that uh, they were astonished by Simon. They claimed that he was someone great. Mind you, he claimed that he was someone great. So who better to listen to than him? Uh, And they all gave heed for the least uh, to the greatest saying... uh, uh, that he was great. Uh, then Simon himself also believed. Ah, a kink in the story. Simon believed. Can I tell you, the word for believed here is exactly the same word as the word for believed in all these other people's lives. Now, why is that important? Well, you've got to come to a couple of conclusions. A couple, one of a couple of conclusions. Number one, he's saved, just like all of them are, or he did exactly what they did. Okay? And the reason why I say that is, uh, in John chapter 2, a bunch of people, including some of the religious leaders, believed in Jesus, but he did not commit himself unto them because he knew their hearts. What does that mean? Well, I think it means they really didn't believe. Something happened, they understood some truth and They made some decisions based on that truth. But was it a lasting thing? It doesn't seem to be. Because somewhere in the rush, if you're born again, Jesus committed himself unto you. I mean, you were baptized into the body of Christ, sealed there until the day of redemption. You can't get out, and he's working on you. And if you uh, don't want to go willingly, he'll take you kicking and screaming, right? A little bit of discipline and chastisement, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, okay? Um, Whole point being is... Uh, Simon believed, just like all these people did. And, of course, he continued with Philip. He, he followed Philip around. He thought, wow, this is really cool. You know, the kind of stuff that I used to do with sorcery, he's doing it, and he's not using any chemicals. He's not using any drugs. And it's kind of like, this is really neat. So, okay, that might say something about him. So that brings us to uh, the apostles. See, being a deacon, if you will, having done something that didn't have any commission, um, he's going to have the apostles check up on him, make sure he's on the right path. By the way, Paul did that. When he came over from Damascus area, he checked in with the apostles, and initially they didn't want anything to do with him. They were kind of worried because this guy was arresting everybody and even sending them to jail and killing some of them. And uh, finally Barnabas went out, talked to him, and brought him in. He met the apostles. Just wanted to make sure I'm preaching the right gospel here, guys, because, you know, it's not as though I went to school with you guys for the last three years. And he found out that he had been preaching the right thing. So uh, that seems to be what Philip is doing here. He calls the apostles. And so in verses 14 through 25, we see that they sent Peter and John. And Peter and John, when they got there, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, for my charismatic brethren, Acts is a transitional book. Okay, so just because it happens in the book of Acts doesn't mean this is the way it's always supposed to be. Okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, In the concept of tongues, Uh, you know, within the uh, book of Acts, tongues is only spoken of three times. Once by the apostles in uh, Acts chapter 2, once in Acts chapter 10, we'll talk about it later, and once in, I think it's uh, Acts chapter 19, uh, when the disciples of John ended up receiving the Spirit okay? Uh, So three times in the whole book, and everyone must speak in tongues in order to be saved. I don't think so, okay? Now, it doesn't mean it didn't happen more. Personally, I think it happened in chapter 8 here. That's just my personal opinion. It does not say that, okay? The reason why I think it happened then is because they knew that they had received the Spirit. It was a sign. We'll talk about that later. But... Still, four times in 28 chapters, if it was that that important, I think that when 5,000 people got saved in Acts chapter 6, maybe they'd all spoke in tongues. Uh, when the 3,000 people got saved in Acts chapter 2, maybe they all would have spoken in tongues. But it was 120 that spoke in tongues, not 3,000. Hmm. So, whole point being, just because they had to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit, there's a purpose in this beyond... Every time someone gets saved, someone has to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. This is the beginning of the church. And who has been given authority to do everything? The apostles. What they recognize as God doing something, thats God's doing that. Someone else comes along and says, I think God's doing this. Who cares? Who are you? Well, Philip's the who are you. So he's calling in the apostles, the big guns, if you will. So they pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Now, again, does that mean that's the way it always happens? No, actually, the scripture seems to indicate very clearly that when a person is born again, first of all, it's the Spirit of God that is uh, causing them to be born again. Uh, they are baptized by the Spirit of God into the body of Christ sealed. There's like 283 things that happen at the moment of salvation. But during this transitional period, the apostles have been given the authority. So they pray, and uh, what do we see here? They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they got dunked in the water. Uh, Letter B. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. I am associating myself with Gordon by laying hands on him. When we have new deacons coming up next month, they're going to come up front, and the elders are going to surround them and beat them up. No, uh, put their lay hands on them. Uh, that's the same thing. Um, put their hands on them and pray for them, and we're associating ourselves with them. Now these guys are recognized by the church as deacons. Well, that's the same kind of thing here. We're recognizing these people who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, lay hands on them, pray for them, and what happens? It says they receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, again, it's because of the apostles needing to be the confirming thing here, not because that how it happens. Letter C. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So when the, uh, the apostles had testified and preached the word of the Lord. So they had special speakers in that weekend, Peter and John. And when they got done speaking, they returned to Jerusalem. And on the way, they're stopping in all kinds of cities in Samaria before they get down to Jerusalem. Okay, so apparently Samaria is not that much of a problem, even though the Jews don't like the Samaritans. Because the apostles have, in essence, put their seal of approval on the work of Philip. The Holy Spirit, of course, has put his, work of, uh, uh, his stamp of approval on the whole thing. And the apostles uh, have uh, associated themselves with the preaching of the gospel in Samaria. But that brings us back to Simon, the substory, part B, or continued, if you will. So in verses 18 to 25, Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. And he offered him money. Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. See, I used to be a sorcerer and I was getting all kinds of accolades from people, a lot of attention. People thought I was something. I really like that. And I would like to continue to be like that. So I want what you got, I'll pay for it. I mean, we are talking about a capitalist situation, right? Okay. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, so notice what happens. Uh, Peter's response to that. Your money perish with you. What's Peter's thought of Simon's salvation? I don't, I don't think Peter's sold on this guy. Okay? Uh, now, I'm not saying that he means perish for eternity, though that might actually be what he means. He goes on to say, You thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money? That's not a whole lot different than believing that you can work your way into heaven. The gift of God can be bought with good works. Hmm, interesting. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Uh, I think Peter's pretty well nailed it down. Uh, You you are not on the right side of uh, this situation here. Okay? So he tells them, Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness. Now, repentance, depending on what church you go to, Wow. It can mean things that are impossible, or it can mean have a bad feeling. When a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, what does it say in uh, Romans 10, 9? Because if you, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Well, what did you think beforehand? Well, maybe they thought he was, but maybe they thought that uh, I'm the boss of my life. You can't tell me what to do. Can I tell you, I've seen that attitude in the church, among people in the church. You've seen it with you? Yeah, I've seen it with him. (laughs) Yeah, I've exhibited it a few times myself, maybe just a little. Um, But the whole point being is, when we come to Christ, the recognition that he is God, he is who he says he is, and therefore... I'm not the boss of me. He's the boss of me. That's a necessity. Okay? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, it includes the death. But notice the important part. He was raised from the dead. Because if the guy is still hanging on the cross, he's not doing you any good. It's only if he's alive. And he is. Okay? Um, first, uh, Romans 1.4 says that he was raised. Uh, he was declared to be the son of God with power through the resurrection of the dead. So it proves that He's God, and then in uh, Romans 4.25, it says that He was delivered up for our transgressions and raised again for our justification, where you are declared righteous before God. You don't get the declaration of righteous without a resurrection. So that's what you have to believe, that God raised Him from the dead. Okay. So repentance is the, the turning away from my way to His way. Now, Sanctification is a constant battle of recognizing, yeah, he's Lord in this area too. Yes, in this area too. Yes, in driving down Route 159 behind someone that's doing 35, God is Lord of that too. Okay, now I picked that one because you know that's one of the ones that... Uh, Yeah, Al may know how to drive better than the person in front of me, but God is Lord. (laughs) Okay, all right. So repent. I I want you to turn from this idea. Well, if you think about it, there's only three areas that you can be tempted in. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and what's Simon's problem here? He wants that status. He wants people to say, ooh, look at Simon. Isn't he something? And so that's what he's having to repent of. Repent of this, your wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Again, the idea that you might work your way into heaven. That's haughtiness. That's pride. That's that's not understanding the gift of God. Uh, he goes on to say, For I see that you are poisoned with bitterness and bound. You're bound up by iniquity. You're still in the state that you were in before you believed, which means you believed in vain. You really didn't believe. You you understood the facts. Okay, yeah, I can go there. I I can agree with that. But you truly didn't get born again. Uh, That's the way I'm seeing it here. So Simon's reaction to Peter's pronouncement, verse 24, pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Now, Peter was given the keys uh, to, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And whatever you uh, bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is going to be loose in heaven. And I understand that whatever you bind on heaven will have already been bound, uh, or whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound on in heaven. Uh, it's not as though Peter's running amok without God's permission. He's doing ultimately what God wants him to do. Uh, but the, the problem here is, how does God want us to come? You pray for me. No. You go and talk to him yourself. You know, it's not that I I don't want to pray for you. It's when when you're entering into a relationship with God, you're entering into the relationship with him. You're not doing it via a mediator, another human being mediator. Yeah, Christ is our mediator. He's human. He's also God. Okay? But it's because of what he's done that you can actually have this relationship with God. So you got to do it. Uh, When I'm talking to people about the Lord on Thursdays and benevolence, uh, I tell them, look, I am here to give you information. That's my job. I'm not here to get you to make a decision for Jesus. Your job is to figure out if I'm telling you the truth. Because there's a lot of flavors out there and some of them are sweet and poisonous. And then... If you find out I'm telling you the truth, your next job is to figure out, are you in the truth or do you need to do something to get in that truth? And the reason why I tell them this is, look, when you stand before the Lord, I'm not going to be standing next to you. I'm not there to give you answers. Okay? It is you and Him. Now, I'm going to stand before the Lord, too, but you're not going to be next to me, <laughs> that kind of thing. So uh, Simon really needs to be praying for himself, but he's, he's all scared now, which is not a bad thing. Uh, we have no other indication that Simon ever got things right, uh, but who knows. So letter E, God's leading of Philip to another cross-cultural ministry, verses 26 and following here. So first of all, his directions. Now the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying... Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. In other words, I want you to get up here on sixty-four and head up to two seventy and head towards the the Jefferson Barracks Bridge. I mean, he's given some pretty specific directions. You know, I don't know about all of the roads that are uh, at that time that were available, but obviously Philip would have known and he would have known exactly where he should have gone. He wasn't walk. Well, it says this is a desert. Okay, uh, you know, there's like 3,000 square miles of sand here. Uh, Am I in the right place, Lord? No, no, he knew exactly where he was going. And uh, so he arose and went. And then the Spirit of God, or the uh, angel of the Lord, says to him, Go near and overtake this chariot. So he's getting specific directions. So God's next assignment, verses 27 through 38a The Ethiopian eunuch was on his way home. Uh, This guy was a man of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He had charge over all of her treasury, and he was also a Jewish proselyte. How do we know? Because he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, now I want you to understand something. Uh, Africa has had a great Christian testimony throughout the centuries, Yes, Islam came in, and they took over a good portion of the north of Africa and stuff like that. Uh, they actually were part of the problem when it came to the slave trade of the day. Uh, you either become a Muslim or we're going to sell you off as a slave. And then the tribes that joined them by being, becoming Muslims started conquering other tribes and selling them off to, as slaves to uh, the Europeans. Uh, and yes, the Europeans had no problem buying them because, of course, they were Bible believers too, right? Yeah. Okay. Moving right along. And I'm not saying that no Christians ever had uh, slaves because I guarantee Christians have been guilty of just about everything out there. So, and yes, I do mean Christians. Uh, When we are not seeking first the kingdom of God, we are capable of doing anything that anybody else is doing. Okay. Uh, You walk in the flesh or you walk in the Spirit. You don't walk in some neutral territory between the Spirit and the flesh. The flesh is really bad, the Spirit's really good, and I'm somewhere in the middle. Nope. Yeah, it's, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? So I don't doubt that some Christians owned slaves at the time, too. But uh, Africa... Uh, pa- Pastor, do you remember how long they had had the Gospel of Mark down there? That uh, particular scroll that we saw? Was it from like 1400 or something like that? It was a long time. These monks had been keeping, uh, preserving this scroll of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Chances are Christianity ended up going down into Africa through this very man right here. Not only did he hear the Gospel, but he gets saved. He goes down there. People see. You know, he's a eunuch and he's not complaining about this or that and so on and so on and so forth. Before you know it, boom, they've got a little church going on and uh, so on and so on and so forth. So Africa has had a uh, great Christian testimony uh, for a lot of years. This may be where it began. Uh, So uh, letter B, the mechanism to speak about Jesus in verses 28 through 31. You know, uh, you've got to have a door. Uh, How can I open up the conversation? And sometimes when we try to evangelize, we actually try and push doors open that are closed. And uh, you really need to be looking for, okay, what is the Spirit doing in this person's life? Um, For example, uh, there is none that seeks after God, right? How many times have you heard a testimony? Well, I was seeking after God. Okay, don't say they weren't. But why were they seeking after God? Because the Spirit of God had done something in their life, okay? So if you see someone that's got questions, you answer questions. You don't, you don't just, uh, you know, well, let me tell you about Jesus. No, uh, that's not my question yet. We haven't gotten there. <laughs> so uh, looking for the mechanism to speak about Jesus. So uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is sitting in his chariot, and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. So Philip runs up beside him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, Now, I can guarantee you that uh, he is full of the spirit and wisdom. Uh, He is recognizing a pretty popular passage for Jewish people. And so he asks the question, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? You know, a lot of people will say, well, I don't understand the Bible. Yeah, where do most people start reading the Bible when they start reading the Bible? Genesis. Okay, Genesis is pretty understandable. Okay, you got a couple of chapters there with all those names. Ah, Okay, but okay, you can do Genesis. And then where do they go next? Exodus. You know, the first 12, 14, 15 chapters are pretty interesting. And then, okay, we can get into the next four or so. And then for 20 chapters, we talk about this tabernacle. You gotta make this many rings and this length of curtain and, and this many sealed uh skins and boring. Oh, we haven't gotten there yet. There's another book. Leviticus. I remember at sixteen years of age, I'm reading through the book of Leviticus. Ah, <laughs> tell you what it's got. What on earth does this have to do? There are two chapters in nineteen and twenty, maybe twenty-one. In the book of Leviticus, that are really practical, down to earth. Yeah, I can get that. The rest of it, and then you got Numbers. Oh yeah, yeah. You ever get to First Chronicles? So when people say, you know, I don't understand it, they're not talking about Genesis. And and really, should they start there? That's not a bad place to bring them somewhere in Russia. But maybe they ought to start with the Gospel of John. John's pretty easy to understand. And what's it telling you about who Jesus is? What do they need to know? Who Jesus is? (laughs) You know, that kind of thing. So uh, whole point being is this guy is reading Isaiah 53. And can I tell you, Jewish people don't understand Isaiah 53 today. They think that Isaiah 53 is either about the nation Israel or about Isaiah himself. And all you have to do is read it and talk about one little thing that woke people are all about. And my pronouns are... Just look at the pronouns in the chapter. It's obvious he's not talking about Isaiah, and he's not talking about Israel. It's obvious. But they've been blinded. So this guy not being saved, he doesn't see it. So how can I unless someone guides me? So he asked Philip to come over and sit with him. Okay, that's pretty cool. So where to start? Well, how about the place in the Scripture which he read was this. It's Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And so the eunuch's question, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Okay, you see that Philip now has an open door, verses 35 to 38 and 39C. Then Philip opened his mouth, beginning at the Scripture, at this Scripture, preached Jesus to him. What do we know that uh, he's preaching about? Jesus, life, death, burial, resurrection, hallelujah, kingdom of God. You're walking out here. You need to become part of this kingdom and walk in submission to that kingdom, that kind of thing. And so uh, preaching Jesus included more than the four spiritual laws. We've tried to make the gospel all about as simple as possible, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't know about you, but people just are not running to get into heaven. Kenny Chesney used to sing a song, uh, everyone wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go right now. They're so caught up in living in this world that it's not about heaven. But there's a judge, and he has appointed a day that you're going to stand before him and give an account. And the only way you get through that is through Jesus. Ah, a little bit of a different thing here. So they came to some water. The eunuch says, here, there's water. What hinders me from being baptized? What's the condition? If you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered him and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and therefore God the Son, and therefore the boss over me. Get it? It's all included there. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him so that the eunuch saw him no more. That's found in verse 39, I believe it is, 39c. The eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. So the eunuch ends up getting saved, getting baptized, goes down into Ethiopia, and he's a happy camper. Okay? Again, let's go back to that leading music and people are standing out here on a Sunday morning. They're all so happy. Okay. And again, do, do you have. Y'all are old. <laughs> but uh, uh, Doug's back there. He's got kids. Getting all your kids ready to get to church on time. Is that an easy task? Oh, Rick is back there too. He's got 952 kids. Uh, is that an easy thing to get them all ready on time to go? I, I remember having five, we had one bathroom. Those kids hated Sunday mornings because they all we would give them baths on Saturday nights and stuff like that. But you know they had to get up and they had to go. Why? Because well, I'm the youth pastor, so I had to be there. (laughs) That kind of thing. Uh, But it is possible. But I can tell you that there was some mornings when we didn't come in here as happy campers, okay? Because we responded in the flesh to the situation that we found ourselves in. Uh, But the reality is, is boy, uh, get into the Word, get into singing some of the songs, and before you know it. Ah, you're feeling the Spirit, and what does it talk about when you're filled with the Spirit? You're speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You're singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What does that mean? You're a happy camper. Okay? Uh, so he he leaves. He's a happy camper. So uh, letter E. Philip's next assignment. verse thirty nine forty. The spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. Philip was found in Azotus, and I'm sitting there going, "Where's Azotus? Is that like in Mexico?" You know. So I looked it up, and it was actually. Ashdod of the Philistines. So it is on the lower uh, shoreline of the Mediterranean Sea in the land of the Philistines. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Caesarea is in the upper portion of Israel, and uh, it's about 95, 96 kilometers, which is somewhere around uh, sixty. Uh, 57 miles. I think I put 67 miles there. Yeah, there it is. It's actually about 57 miles. I'm sorry. But uh, 57 miles away. By the way, the whole land of Israel, as presently uh, constructed, is approximately the size of New Jersey. Okay? It's not really that big. Okay, um, Now, during the Millennial Kingdom, Abraham's promise was all the way over to the Euphrates River. The whole thing. So Syria, gone. Okay, Iraq, gone. Well, I mean, they may still exist. They're just not going to be in that land. <laughs> okay, so that brings us to Acts chapter 10. Now, because time is short, I, I, I hope you know the story in Acts chapter 10. Okay, if you don't, go home and read it. <laughs> Get to know some of these things. I'm going to summarize. You can look at my notes. They're, they're really good. <laughs> you could pay $5 for these anywhere else. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Peter is, it's lunchtime. He's up on the roof praying, spending a little time waiting for dinner to be cooked. You know, you know how it is when you're hungry and dinner's not ready yet. So he's praying, Lord, keep me in the spirit because I don't want to go down there and tell him how hangry I am. You know, uh, And he has a vision. The Lord lowers this sheet. And there's all kinds of animals, including unclean animals. And the voice of the Lord says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter goes, hmm, not me, Lord. You know me. I'm a good Jewish guy. Uh, and I've never eaten anything unclean. Now, he probably hadn't eaten anything unclean. But Peter fit in with the normal Jews of Jerusalem about as good as I do with a lot of church people. Okay, and that's not to put him down. It's not to put me down. It's just to understand that a lot of church people, a lot of religious people have this, here's the standard. Here's how you're supposed to live. And some of us didn't come from that. Okay, if you came from Arkansas, for example, (laughs) I lived in Arkansas for a little while. (laughs) You know, they're still fighting the Civil War down there. (laughs) Oh, my. The Civil War, oh, the war between the states. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, I, I recently saw a church that needed a lead pastor. Salary is between ninety five and one hundred fifteen thousand dollars a year. Kind of like, cool. Um, and uh, so I, I got online just to look at the church. I just because it's Fort Wayne, Indiana. I don't want to go east. Right, pastor, we want to go west, right, or south. Um, but it's in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I uh, saw the church is coming. Kind of like, whoa, that, that's a big church. And guess who started it? Dr. David Jeremiah. I'm sitting there going, yeah, I wouldn't fit there. <laughs> just uh, P- Peter wouldn't fit there, okay? Uh, just a, a thing about that. So he's having this vision, and uh, this sheet comes down three times. God's emphasizing something to him. But in the, vi- in the vision, when he said that he wouldn't do that, uh, the voice of the Lord said, uh, Peter, what God has called clean, you don't call unclean. Now again, uh, God is doing this for a reason because he knows what's coming. Because in the first part of uh, chapter 10, we see the angel speaking to Cornelius saying, hey, I want you to send and get Peter. He's going to come down here and uh, tell you what you need to do. Now the reason why that's important is because the angel could have told Cornelius what to do. But no, the angel says, you go and get Peter. He'll tell you what to do, okay? So when we get into the next page here, we see uh, the voice uh, spoke to him again the second time. Well, God is cleansed. You must not call common. And this was done three times. So enlightenment does not mean we automatically understand it. Have you ever gotten a clue about a passage of Scripture? And it's kind of like, okay, but how does that fit with? If you haven't, keep studying. It'll happen somewhere in the rush. Just because God turns the light bulb on, it doesn't mean all of a sudden it all just puzzles together perfectly for me. No, it's kind of like, yeah, I, I see that, but and pastor, we, we, we chew on things for a while before it's kind of like, okay, I, I think I see it now. It's not that we didn't understand what the enlightenment was about, but how it fits together with everything else. Sometimes that doesn't all happen at the same time. And so if that happens to you, understand you're in good uh, uh, company. Uh, Even Paul didn't understand it. And so uh, then you got the guys showing up. They're, they've been sent by Cornelius. They show up. They're asking for Peter. And so notice the call to come, verses 17b through 18. So Peter uh, goes to meet Cornelius. We have divine direction and reassurance. Uh, I sent these guys. I want you to go with them, the angel says to uh, Peter. Kind okay, of Cool. But before we go... Um, he comes downstairs He says, why have you come? And they tell him, we're here under divine instruction. We're here to get you. And uh, then notice uh, that awkward moment, Oh, uh, hospitality and help. Kind of like, okay, it's a little bit of a walk from here to there, so why don't you guys stay overnight, and we'll all head out tomorrow morning. So they arrive to find Cornelius and company. He thinks he's going to meet a family. One guy, a wife, 2.3 children, a couple of servants. Right? Well, while Cornelius is waiting for him, he sends out to get all of his immediate family in the area. And they all show up at the house. It's a family reunion. They had t-shirts and everything. Okay? And so when he gets there, there's a whole lot of people there. And then you have the awkward moment with correction. Uh, Peter walks in says, Hi, I'm Peter. And Cornelius drops to his knees and worships. Going, hey, don't be doing that. I'm a guy just like you. Just come on, get up. And so there's a little bit of correction there. And then uh, he's thinking about one, but he's meeting many, verse 27. And he starts out, why I am here. I basically was told by God to come. Now, why am I here? Basically the same sentence, same four words, a little bit of a different order. But he asks, Cornelius, why am I here?" you? And so that brings us to uh, Cornelius saying, let me tell you what happened. So he tells him about the vision. And so letter D, the preaching of the gospel, verses 34 to 43. There's a realized truth. He says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now, if you were to look up Deuteronomy 10.17, 2 Chronicles 19.7, Job 34.19, you would see in the Old Testament that God shows no partiality. If in the New Testament you looked up Romans 2.11, Ephesians 6.9, Colossians 3.25, and 1 Peter 1.17, you'd find out that God shows no partiality. What about our personal approach to other people? Well, Galatians 2.6 six. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Now, he's specifically talking about the apostles. He's gone to meet them, wants to check that his gospel is the right gospel, that he understood it all correctly. They're something. They're the apostles. They've walked with Jesus. Yeah, big whoopee. Okay? This is Paul saying, it doesn't matter to me. You can be a doctor. You, you can be a lawyer. Oh, well, everyone needs Jesus. Okay? Um, so, the personal approach is one person is not better than another. Uh, for if anyone thinks himself to be something, then he is nothing. He deceives himself. A lot of people think there's something. Okay, we we can talk about the the political and uh, financial dealings of uh, this country. A lot of people think they're something. No, they're, they're nothing. Okay, because again, they're going to give an answer to God. And uh, if, if they don't have the one thing that we got right going on, uh, none of it's going to matter. Okay, now... I think what's important to recognize here is Peter is now dealing with Gentiles. Gentiles are dogs from the opinion of the Jewish people. Okay? He's there because God kind of prepared his heart to go. Okay? Otherwise, it's not even right for a Jewish person to go into a Gentile's home and have dinner. Okay? He, he pointed all that out. But he's there because God told him to go. Here's something that I find is a, is a possible problem in the church. And again, could be talking about Edgemont, could be talking about churches across America. We have a tendency to think that if you come to our church, you kind of need to meet this kind of a standard. Now, we're getting away from the legalistic standards, but, you know, there's acceptable people, and then there's people that might not be so acceptable. Huh? There was a time when we had three or four people Come into this church at the same time. They were all high need people. Tim Condon, Gina Lamachia. Now they've gone on to their reward in heaven. Uh, well, we'll assume that at the moment. Uh, but they had physical and mental difficulties. Who wanted to talk to Tim on Sunday morning? No one was lining up. Gina was a little bit more tolerable, but. She even became difficult at times. Hmm. Who wanted to talk to Gina? There were some that were polite. Were we really concerned for their spiritual well-being? Or were we just forbearing? Forbearing was good. Being concerned about their spiritual well-being might have been better. And again, not saying that some weren't. Just saying that people were not lining up to talk to high-need people. Uh, Do we have anybody like that in our church today? We have someone that comes, well, she's told us she's going someplace else now, but uh, we'll see. (laughs) But uh, she gets a ride here, and uh, if it wasn't for two or three people, I'm not sure anyone would say a word to her. Now, she's not of a different ethnic background, but we still have a tendency, whether it be an ethnic background or a cultural background, We still have a tendency to look at people on the outside. And what these passages should be teaching us is we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We want to be careful how we deal with the people that God brings us. Yeah, maybe they don't fit into what we think of as an Edgemonter, but God brought them here. We ought to love them. How does that love get shown? Sometimes they need a little correction. How should we correct them? With love, speaking the truth in love. Okay, and the reality is, is I've been to African American churches, and I've been to white churches. I've been to a mixed church, and uh, you know, there's some differences between those. Uh, when you get over into an African American church, people normally are not sleeping. While the pastor is preaching, usually there's a little bit more participation. Amen, hallelujah. I like that. Uh, those are some of the things you might hear. There's usually someone playing a keyboard behind the pastor when he says something. Bum bum, bum. You know, it's like a movie. It's it's great. <laughs> uh, some of the singing is loud, and, and those people don't know when to stop. I tell you what, cultural differences. If we were to bring a bunch of those people into this church. Would they be, why are you laughing? (laughs) Would they be accepted as brothers and sisters or would they be, I wish they'd be quiet, I'm trying to listen to the pastor. Cultural differences. Ethnic differences that bring cultural differences. We want to be careful that we're not being like the religious people of Peter's day. He's a Gentile, he's a dog, don't have anything to do with him. They're Samaritan, they're half-breeds, we don't like them. No, who can be in the church? Anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when babies are born, how well do they take care of themselves? How much do they understand? Got a a, a Snapchat from Hannah today. Uh, Little Ida Mae is 13. No, she's, she's seven months old. And she's getting around the house. And today she went straight for the dog food bowl. That dog food bowl is about as big as she is. If you know my daughter's dogs, they're like this big and they get bowls like this. And she's a tiny little thing. I think she scores in the 13 percentile, you know, compared to everybody else's 95. Well, she immediately grabs for some of that food. And, of course, mom is right there with the camera and takes the food out of her uh, hand and stuff like that. Um, they, newborns, six-month-olds, they need someone that's going to watch over them care for them, get them out of the kind of trouble that they would get themselves into. You know what that tells me about young believers? They're probably not going to be that acceptable Christian that we like to deal with. Because, see, we can deal with Gordon. He's going in for a biopsy, big whoopee. They're going to put him to sleep, you know. But other people, whether it be ethnic, cultural, and even among white people, can I tell you, there's cultural differences Arkansas, a little bit different than up here in Illinois, right? I'm from Connecticut, Florida, a little bit of difference, maybe not much. But um, the reality is, is where I grew up, you've seen those little boxes that are really long that are lined up next to each other, uh, and people that live there usually aren't doing as financially well as others. It's called a mobile home park, trailer park. Those people have a culture all of their own. Can I tell you, they're not going to seem like the normal edgemonter. How do we treat them? Who can be in the church? Those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. God's not looking at the outside skin color. He's not looking at the cultural differences. He's looking at the heart of the people. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to get into the, the tongues thing and all that. You can read the notes for yourself. But let's understand, as, as far as Christians are concerned... None of those things that the politicians like to divide us over should ever be an issue for any one of us. And if you come from a background where it was an issue for you, then do a little bit of Bible study and find out how God would have you to treat the very people that you were taught to hate or taught to think that you were better than. Because there's no place for it in the Christian heart that's walking with Jesus. Let's close in prayer, and we'll let you go. Father, we thank you. Thank you for not being a respecter of persons. You didn't concern yourself with how rich we were, how poor we were, how proper we were, or how not so proper we were. We thank you, Lord, that you saved us in the midst of where we were, in the midst of our sin, and you have done the work necessary to bring us as far as we've come. We thank you, Lord, that even though we know there's a ways to go, you love us all. Give us grace to love one another. Give us grace to stop, especially when it comes to the politicians, trying to divide us in so many areas. And as Christians, this just isn't a thing that we should be following. Lord, that we might be able to extend the love of God to anyone that you bring into our lives. And Lord, even the ones that are hard to love, knowing that at times in the past, we sure have been. Thank you for all that you've done, what you're doing. And Lord, we ask for the grace necessary to do the things that we ought to be doing towards other people in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Read the rest of the notes. They're fun.